Good evening, everyone. It's Necro Thursday. I hope everyone's doing well. It's uh, me and Jeff talking about Barbarian today. How's it going, Jeff? Doing pretty good, man. How are you doing? I'm hanging in there. Uh, you know, the season of my, my favorite season of the year is moving on. And uh, mm-hmm. it's always brief. I always find uh, the brevity of autumn to be kind of bittersweet. You know, I, I love the season so much, but it comes and goes so quickly. Yeah, it's like a month. Yeah. You know, and it's, if, if you're lucky. Yeah. You know, so I'm trying to make the best of it, trying to enjoy myself, you know. That's great. I uh, did the same thing. I went to New Orleans for, or New Orleans, as the locals call it, for for Halloween this year. That sounds like a fun city to go to for Halloween. Yeah, man. You know, oddly enough, in all my travels with the, with the band and stuff, I had not been to New Orleans since 2002. That was the last time ISIS played there. You know, it's funny that you say that because I haven't actually played in New Orleans that much either. It feels like you're playing somewhere else besides New Orleans proper when you play in Louisiana. Yeah, it was always Baton Rouge for us. Yeah. I think actually you guys played there with us. Yeah, Baton Rouge was where we played. and uh, Yeah, the Spanish Moon. Yep. Yeah, that was very cool. Very hot. If I remember correctly, it was uh, incredibly hot and humid on that night. I, I believe you're right, but man, I love that room. I love that club, like a small, grimy club, and it just sounds great in there. Always, there was a cool restaurant right behind it. I loved going there. I think that's why we're just like, let's just play here. This place is great. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I played at the Dixie Tavern, which is gone. I think it got washed away in uh, in the in the in Katrina. I think it it lasted up until then, and then just got you know taken away during ah. that catastrophe. And uh, that place was cool. Um, I played in Metairie. Uh, yeah, played in a couple of spots, but not that much in New Orleans. Weird. Yeah. Yeah, it, it is weird. And it was fun to just go and hang out for like three days, uh, even though I spent one of those days in the uh, emergency rooms. Really? What happened? Uh, well, um, we left on Thursday. Wednesday, I picked something up and hurt my back. Not seriously, but like enough to notice it. And, you know, I, I have ongoing back issues that, that arise every once in a while. And this one was pretty minor. Usually when my back goes out, it's like being shot in the back. Can't move, can't walk. That's it. Uh, this got progressively worse. And after an eight-hour trip from Austin, so I go to a clinic. Hope maybe they can do something for me. And, you know, it takes forever. But uh, I ended up getting a steroid shot in my back and uh, fixed me up. <laughs> I but, bet it uh, did, you know, man. Yeah, you know, uh, they gave me some muscle relaxers, which I didn't take because I hate those things. This is like the one pill that reacts negatively. But, you know, that's not how you really want to start a vacation. Uh, but other than that, it was great to uh, hang out in a city I'm not that familiar with. Uh, it's a lot of fun for Halloween. You know, we did touristy shit like going a ghost tour, uh, which was kind of lame, but whatever. And... Um, Watched a bunch of stuff in the hotel. You know, you don't have the uh, TV, so uh, we watched a bunch of stuff uh, I wouldn't normally watch. Um, one thing I think I met- mentioned to you is uh, we watched the interview with the Vampire TV show. Yeah, I remember you texted me about that, and I was like, uh, first of all, I didn't know that it was it was out already, and I was like very much intrigued by the fact that you enjoyed it. Yeah, I. I wasn't expecting much. 
Um, but, you know, we're in New Orleans. The show takes place in New Orleans. And I was like, yeah, sure. Why not? Give it a watch. Um, I was surprised at the, uh, how much I liked it, how how into it I was. Like, I was into the story and I wanted to move on to, to the next episode. Um, I, are you a reader of Anne Lice? Are you a fan? I read uh, Interview with the Vampire way, way back and did not like it. And I never really checked out any mm-hmm. of her other work. Yeah, I'm not familiar with her work at all. I think I've read a few short stories she's written in some collections and it was good, but you know, vampires, the traditional vampires aren't really something I'm that into, but, uh, I like this. They kind of updated the story. They changed a lot, but it still, I think stays true to the heart of the story. I would imagine it's, there's similarities between the movie and, and this, but it's sort of its own thing, but it's, uh, so far so good. It's, it, it took me by surprise because I was expecting nothing and found myself very into it. What, what platform is that on? It's on, uh, well, it was on cable TV in the hotel, but it's on, uh, I think, AMC. If you have the AMC app or if you have regular cable, that, that that's where you watch it. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'll have to look out for it for sure. Yeah. It was kind of cool being at the, the, the mercy of, like, uh, not being able to watch whatever you want to watch at any given moment. So we end up watching, you know, it's Halloween, so they're showing a bunch of horror movies that... Um, that I normally wouldn't watch, like uh, What Lies Beneath oh, <laughs> with wow. Harrison Ford. Yeah. <laughs> yes. You know, I hadn't seen that movie in probably like 20 something years. And you could tell it was at the beginning of like digital filmmaking where you're like, where maybe at the time some of the camera moves looked impressive, whereas now they look kind of janky. Uh, but still a fairly solid little mom horror movie. Yeah, I saw that one a while back. It was pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. What else was on? American Psycho was on. Uh, oh wow! Cool. Now, now, now I now consider it a classic. I think it's a very great movie. Kind of shares a few similar ideas to the movie we're going to talk about. Okay, yeah, uh, I can see that. Um, yeah, uh, great movie, and also not well received at the time. I remember when it came out. Uh, people just, you know, a lot of people just read the book, saw the movie, and were like, "This isn't the book," but. Um, the time has been very kind to that movie, and over the years, I've grown to love it. It's one of my favorites. Yeah, Christian Bale, that really put him on the map, man, as far as an actor. Like that film. Yeah, it's, yeah. I mean, he's been acting since he was a kid, but, I mean, I didn't really know who he was until he played Patrick Bateman, and, you know, that led to him being Batman, basically. Yeah, anyway. I, I watched American Psycho 2 as part of the Halloween. Uh, you know, I, I, tried, I tried to, you know, do the 31 Days of Halloween halloween thing but it just i just couldn't keep on top of it really yeah i I failed miserably how did it hold up for you though well i mean i watch a lot of horror films anyway and i probably did cumulatively watch 31 horror films but some nights it would be like all right i'll watch two movies and some nights i didn't because there was just other stuff going on that i had to attend to and you know, mm-hmm. on the weekends, I might have watched like you know two or three movies, four movies maybe over a weekend. But it, probably, I probably got thirty-one in, just not every night. You know. Sure. Yeah. Um. Uh, I also, uh, sorry, lost my thought there for a second. Also at the mercy of the hotel, I watched the Final Destination movies, or I watched the first two. Did you ever see any any of those movies? I think I saw the first one. I mean, if you've seen one, you see them all. Watching two back-to-back uh, with a hurt back, um, I was like, this is, the second one's the same movie. It's just a clever way, inventing clever ways to kill people, which is the kind of horror movie I really don't like. 
Yeah. Was uh, Jared, what's his name? Jared Kutchner. What, what, wasn't he in one of those? <laughs> what's his name? <laughs> yeah, Trump's son-in-law. <laughs> I, think, I think you're right. No, uh, Devin Sawa, he was in the first one. Oh, okay. I didn't see it. Um, I definitely didn't see it then. No. Uh, well, you're not missing anything. Or, you know, that was during the era where everything was trying to be screened still. Right. You know, the late the late 90s. And that, that was just sort of like a, a black spot in um also wanted to ask you you've been checking out cabinet of curiosity oh yes absolutely man and i I really like it man it's um some are better than others i wasn't into the uh dreams in the witch house entry Um, Mm. the only thing i liked about it they had a pretty cool brown jenkin in there Um, okay i really liked the the uh panos cosmodos cosmodos uh episode sure that was great yeah that yeah yeah. I agreed. Autopsy was cool. Um, and I also really, really liked the uh, Pickman's model, except for the very, very bad execution of New England accents. Yeah. Um, I, I also preferred Pickman's model to uh, the Dreams in the Witch House. Uh, I thought that was a pretty disappointing adaptation. I mean, there's already a Masters of Horror episode based on Dreams in the Witch House, which yeah. is pretty damn good. Um, it's a pretty mixed bag. It, there's no story in Cabinet Curiosity that I thought was outright terrible, uh, but none of them soared like I quite hoped they would. Uh, I think Panos Cosmodos is probably his episode is probably the best. Yeah, but it's it. I mean, it's not Mandy level greatness. It's 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 just very good and very him. Like it, it, it one stands out to have the most uh, director flair to it. The other ones uh, could be directed by anyone. You know, they don't really seem to have a director's stamp on it quite like Panos Cosmodos episode has. Yeah, that one was my favorite by far because it's, um, like I said, it's the colors, the soundtrack, the score, like the acting. It, I mean, and also you got to remember, this is like an episode of a show. So it's not going to be the budget and intention that like a film like Mandy necessarily had, you know? Sure, yeah. I think he did the most... Um, I mean, it, it's clearly him making it. You know what I mean? It's got. It definitely has his his feel, his stamp, everything. Like it, it's 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 good. It's definitely a highlight. Uh, I hope they do more of these because I love anthologies. But uh, you know, just a lot of them were like, I'm like, yeah, that was good. That was fine. None of them really angered me or like you know, <laughs> or, or were outright trash. But um, yeah. In, in general, in general, I enjoyed it. And what I liked is that it, you know, the, the Panos uh, entry had like a very much, um, yeah, like a, like a weird cosmic horror kind of vibe to it, you know, where there's this like thing from another world and it turns into this monster. I don't know. That stuff was really good. I always like that kind of stuff. Yeah. Well, I mean, Guillermo del Toro is a huge disciple of Lovecraft and it shows, I mean, he curated this whole thing. This, and he's, I love his sort of Rod Sterling-esque introduction to each episode. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I hope there's more. Um, I think I think it, it could be better, but, I mean, this is what we have, and it's pretty good. It, yeah. it wasn't a total home run for me, but, uh, like I said, no outright stinkers in the bunch, I, I think. Yeah, I dug it. I thought it was cool, you know. Um, what, uh, anything else you, you caught? Say that again. Anything else that you uh, you you watched while uh, you know last few weeks? 
Not really. <laughs> like, uh, I failed miserably with the 31 Horror Days Challenge uh, this year. And like I said, uh, you know, on vacation, hurt, hurt my back, uh, sort of... You know, I didn't get to check out as much as I uh, I wanted to, but uh, you know, I did, you know, find the uh, interview with the vampire show, and that's something I'm think I'm gonna we're we're gonna con continue to watch. What about you? You see anything else? Um, yeah, I mean, I I, I did a couple rewatches. Um, you know, I I rewatched The Exorcist, which is like I do every Halloween at the very least. The Shining, I checked that out again, and I, yeah. I mentioned this to Mike, but uh, you might appreciate this as I saw something in the dirt at the uh, Philly Film Convention. Uh, you did years. mention that. Yeah, dude. It was, I, I really liked it. It was, um, you know, once again, if, if um, a lot of dialogue is, your, is not your cup of tea, then you probably won't like uh, Benson and Moorhead's films. But if it is, it, 100%, it's, it's basically what they do, but just with a huge leaps and bounds above what they've done in the past. You know, it's... Uh, you can tell that they've been honing their skills working in the larger arena of the Marvel films and the bigger budget stuff that they've been producing over the last few years. And, uh, you know, it, it's a, it's a low budget thing, but it just, it just is captivating, man. It's really good. I can't wait to see it. From what I understand, this was their pandemic movie. Like, uh, when filmmakers are trying to figure out how do we do what we do when everything's shut down, this is what they came up with. Um, and I, I've been hearing it's it's quite good. It's literally ninety percent of the film is just the two of them, you know. Yeah. And like I said, it's like one one of the things that's great about their and we'll cover this one. And it's going to go streaming apparently this month anyway, so we'll we'll be able to check it out and hopefully talk about it before the end of the year. Absolutely. But uh, is how they take these mundane things that shouldn't be threatening, and the way it's filmed, it looks ominous. You know, mm, yeah, yeah. So similar to the way that that movie uh, Humans on Showtime, right? Like it's there's nothing horrific about that story. There's no no supernatural elements, but it, it's filmed in a way that everything seemed very menacing and, and foreboding, and that's really what Benson and Moorhead thrive in that environment because they're working with like very limited resources, and it's um the way it's shot, the way they cut things in. Like, there's even, like, a scene of just, like, a coyote, you know, that I guess mm. when you used to live in L.A., you've probably seen coyotes around, you know? Oh, all, all, all the time. And and they shoot it, and it's like you're, you're seeing this, just this scene of a coyote that probably was incidental. And you're like, what, what, you know, what does this mean? Like, this thing looks, it's, like, significant somehow. And it adds, like, a weight to every shot in the movie. Yeah, uh, those two are immensely talented. Even the movies I don't love, I still appreciate. And again, like I like all their movies, some some more than others. Uh, my favorite is still the first one they made, uh, Resolution. Um, so I always look forward to 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 what they're gonna do. I was a little dis like we talked about this. The Marvel show wasn't really their thing, so can't really put the the, the blame on them with that. Um, so it's good to see them come from that world and back to, to doing doing what they know, doing what they're great at. And I'm very much looking forward to, to, to seeing that. Another funny thing, too, is uh, Justin Moorhead um, plays a guy that when you see the film... I'm sorry, Justin Benson. I got, mm. Justin Benson plays a character 
that is very reminiscent of someone that you and I both know that still resides in LA. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so uh, yeah. I hope I'm real. I really hope you get a, get a chance to check this out soon, so you can you and I can talk about that. <laughs> oh, I know who you're talking about. By the way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, one of the things that that was people mostly criticized that didn't quite bother me about the endless was the, the directors acting in it. They're like, well, they're not the best actors. Sure, but they're also not the worst. Even their acting in in this and uh, something in the dirt. It's like just fucking power, man. Like these guys, like everything just was like improved. You know what I'm trying to say? Like their acting sure. was great too. I thought in this one. I think at this point in the year, this is my most looked forward to movie. Like this is the one I'm really can't can't finish my my uh, favorite of the of the year without seeing that one. Now put it that way. Yeah. You know, and like anyone out there who's curious about this, um, I urge you to check out their other films first. Uh, a lot of that, most of them, I think, are still on Shutter. You know, the Endless Resolution, Spring, are on Shutter, and those three films uh, incorporate. They exist in the same universe as this film, and it's um. Oh, it does. Okay, yeah, yeah, great. totally. There's a lot of stuff in there where you're like, oh, there's this, this, and this, and the you know cults and things like that, and um. I love that it's not like a Marvel style universe, but all their films are connected loosely, some more uh, uh, explicitly than others, but uh, they all have a thread going through them. Yeah. Uh, I really, I really like that. I have a feeling that someday they're going to, they're going to tie all these threads together. You know what I mean? Like, like it's, it's just, it just fits in with a lot of the stuff that I personally love, like how Lovecraft's, uh, you know, Cthulhu mythos all winds together and, uh, you know, Stephen King with the Dark Tower. It's all tied together, yeah. Miskatonic yeah. University and all that kind of stuff. It yeah. pops up, yeah. And, and these guys are definitely huge, like, fans of, like, weird fiction and cosmic horror and Lovecraft and all that sort of stuff, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Can't, can't wait for that one. And you get to see it in the theater, too. Yeah, yeah, I saw it at the film festival in Philly with, uh, I went with our, um, our quality control manager, uh, Rennie. <laughs> oh, nice, nice. So he approved too, then, huh? Ready approved, yes. All right, great. Uh, I saw Endless in the theater myself, and uh, liked the movie that much more because of it. I think. Yeah, no, for sure, man. It, it, the the screen version of it was way better, and it was kind of cool. Is before the, the showing of the film, they had a guy to present it. You know, he's like, you know, hi, I'm so and so. Um, you know, how many people are here? are fans of uh, Benson and Moorhead. And a lot of people were like fans. A lot of people clapped. Oh, good. Yeah, so they're starting to get like uh, some kind of recognition. And I, I was telling Mike this, that I, uh, you know, I, I tagged them on uh, Instagram. And neither one of those guys, they both have under 10,000 Instagram followers. <laughs> really? Like, yeah, oh, yeah wow. they're just like, I mean, I figured, you know, how all filmmakers have like, you know, 14,000 followers or you know like sure yeah, yeah, yeah. hundred thousand you know they're like even like small filmmakers but these guys for whatever reason man they're still even though they had the Marvel thing they were they're still lingering out there in relative obscurity so more people need to know about them more people need to check them out I don't think that obscurity is gonna last I think it's just a matter of time before those guys do something huge I really believe that I hope so for the, you know for them you know yeah yeah and uh, hopefully they still continue to make smaller films uh, when they do reach the stratosphere. Yeah. Before we get going, I want to just uh, shout out our uh, our fellow horsemen out there. Of course, I'm talking about uh, 
Horror Wolf 666, Brandon Legion, doing interviews with up-and-comers, uh, old-school luminaries in the horror world. You know, you got new new people and old people. You know, everyone across the whole spectrum of uh, filmmakers have appeared on his show, as well as the occasional crossover episodes with myself and uh, and Ralph, you know, Ralph Schmidt. And Jackie, mm-hmm. Jackie has been on there as well. And uh, Tuesday we have uh, Into the Necrosphere, the only music podcast that I listen to. So if you're into extreme music, check it out. Wednesday, of course, is Everything Went Black. Thursday is Necromaniacs. Friday is Break the Apocalypse, which is Mike's brother, John Draper. His brother, John Draper, hosts that. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Sunday, the Lord's Day. Brings us Soul Knox, hosted by Carl Hikara. And uh, he and I are planning to do another episode together. Uh, once again, talking about bizarre, esoteric fiction, things, things of that nature. And now that brings us to uh, this week's subject, Barbarian. Yeah. Um, you had seen this previously uh, in the theater. Am I correct in that? That is correct. I try to catch everything I can in the theater since I live like minutes away from a, a, an AMC dine-in theater. So yeah, I did, I did see this one in the movies. Yeah. I'm curious uh, uh, if I would have enjoyed it, not, not tilting my hat either way saying I liked it or didn't yet, but um, I'm curious how, how it would have played in the theater for me. Um, I, I, this movie absolutely benefits from not knowing as little as possible before going to see it though. Absolutely. It does. Uh, I, I tried not to, in general, I tried not to read too much about films before I see them. Like, I want to go in there with any kind of, without any, you know, precursor or any kind of, uh, you know, intel or vibes about the movie before I go in. And this is definitely one of them. And it was intriguing, you know. The title intrigued me. Uh, initially, I thought it was going to be about, like, some kind of, like, uh, sword and sorcery, heroic fantasy kind of thing. <laughs> you know, I thought I was gonna. Yeah. I'm like, oh, cool! Like swords and dragons, excellent. You know, but it wasn't about that at all. <laughs> and then when I saw some of the imagery, I was like, oh, this is definitely uh, there's there's more to it than than that. So that's all I knew going in. Yeah, I, I'd seen the trailer, and that's it. And I saw the trailer quite a while ago too, so it wasn't fresh in my mind. I just remember, oh, uh, yeah, I, I, I know this movie. Um, uh, I, I too try to avoid as much as possible as I can, especially if we're going to talk about it. Um, and uh, I, I stayed relatively, you know, uh, unspoiled on, on the movie. I just knew that people would describe it as crazy and not what you think, which is somewhat of a minor spoiler. Uh, it doesn't go where you think it's going to go. Um, but that's really all I knew. And so seeing this with like the freshest eyes possible is what I would recommend. Like if you're listening to this and you haven't seen it, don't listen any further till you've seen it. Yeah, once again, we've been getting criticized for spoiling movies for people. So, uh, so by all means, it's mostly my fault. Yeah, well, we we all all three of us are guilty of that. So, you know, if uh, you don't mind spoilers, continue. If you want to see this, because now it's streaming on HBO, so you can watch it if you have a you know a sub for HBO. Check it right. out and then come back to us and then listen to the episode. So that's a little 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 for uh, forewarning there. You know, and I really think to get to the heart of this movie, you're going to have to give away certain plot points because, as we mentioned, this is not what it seems to be at all. Absolutely. Yeah. Before we get into the actual breakdown of the film, let's talk about just some of the um, technical particulars here. 
direct, mm-hmm. directed and written by Zach Kreger, someone who I'd never actually heard of before. Oh, I've heard of him, yeah. Well, it turns out that he's a comedian. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, that's a, yeah. <laughs> this is why I probably don't know who he is. Uh, yeah. Writer, director, producer, and Twitch streamer. He was involved that with is- something called Whitest Kids You Know. Yes, that's what I know him from. What is that exactly? It's a sketch comedy uh, show. Um, it's uh, I've known of it, but uh, my friend in Boise kind of really turned me on to it. Uh, I think it was on the IFC channel in like the early 2010s, maybe. Um, it's very funny. Um, if you got time, Google Whitest Kids You Know, Abe Lincoln. It's a very funny sketch. Um, and I know one of the guys from Whitest Kids You Know just died recently. Oh, wow. Rather tra- rather tragically, I think he fell off a balcony, which, I mean, God damn, that's terrible. Uh, but yeah, I was sort of familiar with him. Um, and uh, I think comedy and horror do share a lot in common in, in, in as different as they are. Uh, but before we get into that, you want to finish the uh, tech specs, I guess? Yeah, so this is his horror debut. And uh, we, we'll talk later about, uh, you know, some of his uh, brethren in the comedy world trying to jump over mm. into horror. But yeah, uh, runtime is 102 minutes. A little bit on the long side. A um, little bit. Yeah. Released at the San Diego Comic-Con July 22nd, 2022, and then to the U.S. on September 9th, 2022. Budget of $4.5 million, and currently the box office take rests at 43.3, million. So it's uh, been a successful run for these guys so far. Absolutely. Yeah. Pretty cool cast. We have um, Georgina Campbell as Tess. Bill Skarsgård as Keith. Mm-hmm. Matthew, Matthew Patrick David as the mother. We'll get into that. <laughs> uh, Justin Long as A.J. Gilbride. And the powerful Richard Brake as Frank. We're big fans on this podcast of, of him. Yeah, and, and anytime he shows up in a movie... Um, I get excited because I just like watching the guy act. You know what I mean? Yeah. And to, to its benefit, the movie doesn't really have any opening credits, which would seem to tip its hat. Like you, you'd be waiting for these people to show up. I didn't know half these people were in this movie. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And, that, and those are pretty much the main characters. You know, there's like some yeah. other incidentals. So, so yeah, it's, um, it, you know, it starts off. Actually, this film has, a beginning that has almost a completely different vibe as the second half of the film. Yeah. I mean, I didn't know. I thought this was going to be some sort of cold open. And then when it, it kept going, I said, Oh no, this is the movie. Mm -hmm. And then literally, I think right at the 40 minute mark, it totally changes directions. And that's when you go like, what am I watching? <laughs> yeah, totally. And and I, I really was tripping out on that. I thought that was very, very creative way of telling the story, honestly. I do too. And uh, the few things I did pick up on, like reading a little bit here and there, I try not to read too much about this, but uh, he had been trying to make this movie for a very long time. And the unconventional structure uh, is, is what the studio is balked at. So... Good for him for sticking to his vision, making this movie the may, the way he wanted to make it. And uh, the movie is all the much better for it because I think the, the the red herrings and misdirection really uh, play a huge part in, 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 in 
the effect of it that this movie has. Yeah, and you know, it opens up in uh in Detroit, you know, a town that uh generally has a pretty bad reputation. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um you know, it, burned. Yeah, been burned <laughs> to the ground. Uh yeah. is the site of uh, urban blight and um is a shadow of what it used to be at this, you know, at this stage of the game. However, in uh in my recent over the recent years, my excursions into Detroit, Michigan have shown have has uh demonstrated to me that uh, the the city might actually seem like it's kind of on the on the rise again in some ways. You know what I mean? Oh, that's good. It's been a long, long time since I've been to Detroit. You know, at least a decade. Yeah. Um, the first couple of times I went there, it was everything I expected. You know what I mean? <laughs> it was yeah, like, exactly. You know, all I, those I think things. I drove through this neighborhood that they filmed yeah, this in. Yeah, like I remember yeah. doing uh, playing a you know playing shows in Detroit, and one time we did like uh, you know we had a hotel like far outside the city, about an hour away. And uh, trying to get back to the highway and uh, that app Waze, we were following oh, yeah. those directions. And um, that doesn't text necessarily take you, it takes you the most direct way, basically. So yeah. there's all these weird turns and you go through areas that you didn't even know existed instead of just taking, to, taking you to the highway right away, you know? Right, exactly. It'll reroute you through like someone's gated Dude, community or something. We, yeah, <laughs> we we were like driving through parts of the city that like there was no street lights. Like you can see, just like desolation. There was like empty buildings. There was like um, roots growing up through the pavement. Uh, you know, occasionally you'll see some guy lurking in an otherwise abandoned block. So yeah. we're driving through places with no street lights, like things like that, you know, at like two o'clock in the morning, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, absolutely. So this, this movie actually captures that, that, that feeling, I think pretty well, the way they just, they show this neighborhood. Oh, absolutely. The, the Detroit you just described is the Detroit in this movie. And, uh, it is kind of one of the themes of the movie, uh, you know, Airbnb gentrification. Yeah. Um, there is a lot of political subtext to this movie. It doesn't beat you over the head with it, and it's very slick about it. I think you could watch the whole movie and not even maybe pick up on some of those things, but it is absolutely definitely there. This movie has more on its mind than trying to, to, to make you jump out of your seat. Yeah, it's not heavy-handed at all. It just It's almost like after the fact you start thinking about some of these topics, I think, you know, and that's what what I really enjoyed about it. That was like one of the things that were definitely a a credit to the to the filmmaking here, you know. Oh, yeah, uh, absolutely. I mean, you take the opening 40 minutes. I mean, that could be just itself a short film and says a lot because really you think you're watching one thing, but you're not. So the, the premise is Tess is getting an Airbnb. She's in town for a job interview and the Airbnb is double booked. Uh, we have Keith who's already there when she, she, she tries to get in. Keith's already staying there. And it, you, uh, first of all, what did you think? Did you already have an idea of what was going on at this point? I thought, I thought I knew it was going to happen because, uh, the fact that Skarsgård shows up, makes me think that he's the piece of villain somehow <laughs> you know what i mean like yeah um you know he he's a handsome guy but very creepy looking right similar to evan peters you know yes yeah he um i mean he's pennywise you right. know but aside from that though he just looks creepy 
you know, where his, you know, where, where Alexander Skarsgård has this like heroic, like, you know, vibe to him. Bill has, he's more, um, you know, like he looks different. You know what I mean? He has like a <laughs> creepy vibe. Like you, you wouldn't, you could see him lurking in shadows, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, uh, great casting across the board in this movie. Um, this is a part like Keith, uh, he brings a lot to the role of Keith because I mean, it, it is really setting it up. Like Keith is someone who can't trust. There are a, a lot of red flags. Uh, well, and go ahead. The thing with the Airbnb thing is like, they both use two different systems to book this, this location, like this, uh, this, this, you know, crash place, I guess. Right. You yeah. know, and that, that speaks to just how also, in our world today, there's like millions of things that do the same thing. And maybe we just only need one, you know, <laughs> that kind of. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, you know, I'm sure uh, the, the interesting thing about this is Keith is very, you know, relaxed. Hey, come in. And Tess is immediately on guard. And she's on guard for most of uh this first 40 minutes and it's interesting like towards the end she lets her guard down a little bit this movie makes it a point where everywhere she goes she goes to the bathroom she locks the door uh everywhere you know she goes into a room she, she's locking the door she's extremely cautious um and keith is is a little bit more uh lackadaisical about the whole thing um which makes you wonder as to like what's actually going on. You know, that, that's what made me wonder. But then again, let me ask you, let me pose this question to you. Say you are <laughs> Air, Airbnb being some spot in some city and this is exact same situation arose. How would you handle it? That's funny, Mike. I was going to ask you the same question. Um, who, who am I in this scenario? Am I Keith or Tess? Oh, 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 I see. This, that's right. We're in the modern world where we're gender fluid. So, um, yeah. Let's stick with our traditional roles, our traditional gender roles. So let's assume that you are Keith in this situation. Mm. I think I would handle it kind of similarly. Uh, I mean, I'm not a trusting person, but I'm also, uh, you know, I, I have sympathy. You know, it's raining. This is a fucked up situation. Hey, come in. We'll, we'll figure this out. Uh, I wouldn't be opening a wine for people um yeah that you know and again that's a really great character moment where he's trying to show hey i'm a good guy i wanted to wait to open this till you saw me open it and i'm very skeptical of people like that guys who want to show you what a good guy they are are usually pieces of shit (laughs) um but and then it's an interesting theme that develops all throughout the movie that that keith is is very cautious or, or very um, laid back and just or test, sorry, is is really extra cautious and she slowly lets her guard down, which I um, feel is like the reasonable way of approaching the situation, really. You know, and and they, you know, the idea of like, well, why don't you just get a hotel room, you know, like yeah, that. He, yeah. But there's like, you know, they're booked or, you know, this this neighborhood sucks. So you got to be careful where you're doing, you know, that kind of stuff. You know, what I mean, there's like a re- there's like a justification for her staying there as an option. as that option being reasonable. Right. And Keith is the one to mention that there's a convention in town. So there's all these red flags, like everything he says, like it seems like he's trying to try and he's it seems like he's playing the role of a good guy. He's not really a good guy. 
And the first surprise of the movie comes when she stays the night and nothing happened. Like, I'm like, oh, she made it to the morning. I thought the whole movie was going to be like this night, this sort of cat and mouse thing. I, I, me too. I thought the whole, the whole story was going to take place over the course of one evening where he just has this like fiendish plot to like, you know, brutalize her for the rest of the night. And I thought that was going to be the movie and she was going to somehow get revenge on him or something, you know, escape. Yeah, I mean, up until the 40-minute mark, I was convinced that, like, oh, he's somehow, like, made this happen. He's the bad guy. Um, there's going to be some some bigger thing going on, but he's going to be the the, um, the, the, the the main villain of the movie. And it turns out that I was, you know, very wrong. I don't think I would have stayed if I were Keith. You know what I mean? Like, I know, like, all right, we paid for the room, whatever, but, like, Dude, I I would probably have let her have the place, and I would have found a um, like a Motel Six or like a Red Roof Inn somewhere else. I, that's how I think I would have approached. Interesting, it. yeah, um, yeah. I'm not sure. I would I, I would have definitely wanted to the situation to uh, re- to get resolved before I left, you know. And if, um, but if you were Cass, what would you have done? Would you have gone in? And accepted this invitation from a strange person. I see. I don't know that I would if it was reversed and I was a person showing up and someone was already there. I think I would be freaked out and I'd yeah. probably leave. Yeah, I, I don't think I would have stayed either. You know, for, if I were Tess, I would. I don't. You know, and and like, but then again, like she's looking for a job. You know, maybe budget is like a thing she's concerned with. You know, and um, but nonetheless, you know, Keith convinces her that it's okay to stay there yeah and, and yeah and from his point of view and you know because nothing happens so maybe things are okay yeah exactly tess gets woken up by a strange noise and she sees that keith is having some sort of a nightmare um which i thought was a nice touch i'm like oh i wonder where they're going with that there's a few little like things uh in the movie like you know um tess is getting uh constant calls from someone named marcus uh, it, it early in, it, in this scene, in this, this opening 40 minutes. And you don't think it, re- it doesn't really play into the plot of the movie, but it does seem to uh, play into the overall themes of the movie, um, which which I thought was interesting. And that little moment of, of Keith having a nightmare was like, I was like, oh, I wonder, wonder where they're going with this. But they don't quite go where I expected to with that, whereas it, it was really just... A, a disarming mechanism that, you know, again, maybe, you know, Keith is kind of mentally un- unsound. I, I, I don't know. It didn't, it didn't go where I thought it was going to. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, so quite by accident, she finds this labyrinth <laughs> beneath. Yeah. Beneath yeah. The, uh, she the has house. to take a shit. <laughs> she can't find any toilet paper, <laughs> which I thought was a brilliant way of like finding this thing, you know? And, um, man, that once again, there's like, tons of times tons of moments in this film where it's like if you'd gone left instead of right you would have been totally fine you know what i mean yeah absolutely um it's like if they had she had not descended into this labyrinth and not even you know not had to go into the basement ever because like if you think about it if you're like you know your airbnb being a place you know you don't really you're not necessarily going to be looking in the basement for stuff you know what i mean so she hadn't had to go down there this whole thing would not have happened, probably. 
Right. It, 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 exactly. Uh, I want to point out before she goes in the basement, she comes back from the job interview and she's being she gets chased by a homeless person. Oh, or, right. Or, yeah. So she thinks I just wanted to point that out, that anyone who's lived in Los Angeles or any major city has probably had that experience. Not so much in New York, man. Like I, uh, you know, I've had inner, inner like run-ins with homeless people, but not not like that, really. You know what I mean? Oh, I have. I was chased by a homeless person who was convinced I was in the CIA. In New York or in L.A.? In L.A. Yeah, there's a different style of homeless guy out in the West Coast, I think. Yeah, I would agree. Yeah, I would agree. Yeah, like in, in, New, it, in New York and like mainly like northeastern cities, like there's a, always like the threat of violence, I feel like, even just from regular citizens like in New York, that like yeah. people are a little bit more like less likely to confront you about stuff, you know? That's true. Yeah. Um, but I don't know how this guy knew I was in the CIA. He must have been really intuitive, but <laughs> he was not happy. Um, but, you know, you think it's just this like, kind of cool tension building scene. And it is, but it does play into the, the movie more later on. Yeah. And, and he also makes a note as to like, you know, you shouldn't be here. Don't come, don't go out at night like that kind of stuff, you know. Right, yeah, which can be taken a few ways. Maybe he's just like, you don't belong in this neighborhood, or maybe there's something sinister going on in the house, which, you know, and then she finds that uh, the, the basement, and she's very cautious uh, and apprehensive about, about really, like, you know, what the hell, she's really freaked out. Um, you know, maybe that homeless guy was onto something, and then, you know, Keith comes back. Keith is... Um, we should also mention that by the end of the night, her and Keith are kind of on good terms. Uh, she she doesn't it, it distinctly shows she doesn't lock the door when she goes to bed because it, up at that point, the movie makes it a um, a point to show her locking every door. Yeah, and it didn't show her lock the bedroom door. So now uh, she's disarmed essentially. She trusts Keith. Um, and, yeah, uh, yeah. You're not sure if you trust him yet. I still, as, I still didn't trust him at this point. You know, I still no, not, because not, not at all. Some of the things she finds in the basement are uh, this like weird torture room, you know, with like a camera tripod and blood stains on a mattress and a bucket, you know, and and the the labyrinth gets creepier and creepier because it almost seems like it's like these ancient tunnels, you know, it's like some kind of uh, bizarre ancient system of tunnels connecting different places and it has this very almost arcane sort of structure to it you know yeah definitely and immediately i was like okay this is going to be maybe about homeless yeah cave dwellers but i was like oh what about the camera what about the torture and like anything i thought like that's what was constantly throwing me off like what what's what, what's that about yeah like still very much like in my mind, I'm thinking like, all right, Keith is like sort of this like kinky guy. He's like, you know, maybe he owns the place or something like that. And he just like has some thing that he does with women, you know? Yeah. Yep. I'm yeah. Pretty much what I was thinking too. Uh, he's going to be like the overlord of this like underground dweller society. I don't know. That's, that's where I was. I thought it was going. Um, and this is, you know, Keith, it comes back. He's, uh, you know, was out doing his thing and uh, he gets Tess out of the basement that she's locked in. And you have another scene of, of, of um, that I think is pivotal in the movie, where is she's freaked out, rightfully so, by what she just saw. And Keith 
is doesn't believe her or isn't sure. He's very calm about the whole thing. And he's like, and maybe Keith thinks she's making a bigger deal. He has to see for himself. And that's where the movie takes a huge turn. Yeah. And, and that, that once again, it's another one of those moments where it's like, you know, I'm like, dude, just, you don't need to see what's down there. Just believe her and get the fuck out of there. You know what I mean? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I, I would imagine like something, this movie might be like frustrating to people like, well, why didn't you do that? Or why didn't they do that? And I, again, I think it speaks to that the movie has more on its mind than just being a standard horror movie. I think it's more interested in, in its themes and ideas than just being straightforward. And so you, the movie needs for Keith not to believe her yeah. to, to, to get its point across. Um, so yeah, this is basically like the longest intro ever. Like to, to, to like this is forty minutes, and then the movie completely turns into something different. Like I thought we were going to be in this house uh, the entire movie, and then all of a sudden we're somewhere else. We're on a different coast. Yeah, and then this I think was brilliant. This whole scene, this whole introduction of uh, of the character of AG Gilbride, AJ Gilbride. <laughs> Yeah, Justin Long (laughs) driving his car down down the PCH. Life is fantastic for AJ Gilbride at this very moment. He's singing a song, you know, loving life. Gets a phone call. (laughs) His whole he goes from from hero to zero in the amount and just in the, the, the length of that phone call just upends his entire life. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And uh, yeah, he basically is getting called out by his co-star for sexual assault for rape. Actually. Um, he's being called out for that. Um, I don't think the movie was ambiguous at all, whether or not he was, he did this. I I think it, he clearly did. Oh yeah. No, there's no ambiguity at all, but I, I love the way that it's portrayed though, because they kind of back into it. They don't straight up be like, all right, like, you know, your co-star said you raped her. It's like you were sexually aggressive. Yeah. All right. And then slowly everyone starts abandoning this guy. He loses his part and the, they're recasting it. He's out. Even his business manager is, is distancing himself from him. You know, he breaks down like, well, how, how much money do I have? And he's like, you know, you're you're not you're not going to make it. You're, you're you're running out of money and you need to sell properties or liquidate your house in L.A. and all that kind of stuff, you know. Right. Which gets him to Detroit, gets him. He it ends up. See, when he got that phone call, I thought it was going to be about tests and there was someone found dead in the house he owned or something like that. But no, it's, it's completely different than, than than what i thought it's like oh you're you're a fucking you know you're being called out for your shitty behavior yeah and now, uh when, when we, he gets we, back to the to detroit there's a brilliant scene where he meets up with one of his friends like and he's on the he's they go out drinking one of his buddies yeah right and once again he he you know the guys are asking him he's like you know you know bro 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 talk you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, like man, real, man, real shit here, bro. You no know, real yeah. shit. I'm being real with, be real with me, bro. You know, like, and he's like, yeah, yeah, you know, it's, I had to convince her a little bit. You know what I mean? It's like real sketchy the way that he describes the situation. You know what I mean? Oh no, man, she was totally down. You know, I just had to convince her a little bit. You know? Yeah, exactly. And then the next scene, he's drunk dialing the the person, 
Yeah. Which he was explicitly told not to. And he's like, I'm not even mad at you. Yeah. Yeah. Real fucking creepy, man. And like, once it just like very just deftly done, you know? And it's like, and it's, it's addressing all that, that whole stuff, all that with, I thought a really layered way of doing it. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah, this guy's a piece of shit, but this is the world that a lot of these Hollywood types live in where they live in this delusion. You know what I mean? And it's like, yeah, yeah, you know, I was, yeah, she was down, man. I just, I just had to convince her a little bit. You know, it's it's cool. You know, or or maybe yeah. not even Hollywood. Maybe just like bro cultures like that. You know what I mean? Oh yeah, totally. Also, want to point out his friend in that scene is the director of the movie. Oh no shit! I didn't I didn't know that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um. But yeah, like there's there's nuance to play. It's not like is he guilty or isn't? I think it's it's very obvious they make him. Uh, well, they make him human. He's not cartoonishly evil or anything like that, but he clearly did this, but he doesn't believe he's guilty. Yes. Yeah. And that, that is, just plays into the whole celebrity thing that's going on with like people acting like monsters, but not understanding that they're even fucking wrong. Right. And I think is what brings it to the most interesting parts of the movie. Uh, you think about it, we're supposed to make uh, the way this movie shot the first 40 minutes. You're, you're led to believe Keith is the bad guy. You know, he's in a dark house. It's raining. We have these ominous signs. But then you meet AJ. He's singing. It's sunny. The top's down. But AJ is truly a bad guy. Yeah. And yet you meet him in a completely different context. And then. Once you get to Detroit and you get AJ in the house, he basically goes through the same scenarios that Tess went through, only he is completely oblivious to any danger going on. Actually, one of the most interesting things is he's going through the, all this whole footprint of the square space of the <laughs> like he's like, "Huh, looking up on the internet, do you like, you know, basement, uh, you know, extensions, does that count in the overall square footage of a property?" You know, and he's finding this labyrinth, but instead he's not even concerned that there's this like subterranean labyrinth beneath his house. He's trying to measure it and figure it into the square footage of what he can use to sell or rent this place out or whatever. You know what I mean? Yeah, he's not horrified by what he finds. He's like, all right. He's like, oh, yeah, a larger footprint. I can get more money per square foot. You know, that kind of thing. Right, and there's little great character touches up until that. Like, he's pissed off at the Airbnb. He's like, why is there stuff in my house? Like, he's going through Tess's stuff, and he just kind of throws her laptop. Yeah. Um, it just shows how uncaring this guy is about – he doesn't respect anyone's – anyone. He doesn't respect their stuff. He doesn't respect their space. Uh, so some questions I had earlier were kind of answered by this, like, you know, like, like how, how does no one realize Tess is missing or that her car is parked in front or that her stuff is still there? And they're like, well, the maid service doesn't come until the next session's booked. I'm like, oh, okay. And they kind of make it, like, show, like, they show when AJ goes to the this Airbnb management company that how just oblivious now they just don't care. Like, this guy's all over the news and they don't even seem to notice also, it's just how detached and decentralized everything is, too. You know what I mean? It's yes. Like, yeah. It's just some like one one of the downsides of everything being convenient is that everything is decentralized. Like you can book something all the way across the country, and the person that you're dealing with is in yet another part of the country, and there's no actual hands-on account accountability for anything. You know. Right. 
Yes, exactly. I think they, uh, that's definitely plays into the larger feel of the, of, of the movie. Yeah. And cause I was thinking these things and then they kind of explained it in that, in that one scene. They're just like, well, you know, the maid doesn't come unless, you know, it just kind of shows that no one cares. Basically. Yeah, they're just turning the crank, doing their job. You know, it's not my problem. That's like the, that's the, um, the, the mantra of uh, the millennium. I think it's not my problem. Yeah, you know? yeah, I, I would definitely agree with you there. Um, so yeah, I, I find it very interesting that 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 um, AJ is psyched by finding this and not horrified. And, and the only thing that seems to bother him is someone is staying in his house without him knowing. Uh, but yeah, he's measuring it. He wants to, you know, he's going. Oh, I'm going to get more money for this. He's completely just unaware that any danger, anything dangerous, or he he has no idea how much danger he's in, basically, and. Chess, when she discovered it, was horrified and felt the immediate danger right away. And I think this is a larger point that the movie's trying to make, that men and women go through life very differently. 100%. However, I would be freaked out by that, too. I would, too. Yes. <laughs> of course I would. Um, but, uh, yeah, I like, um, eventually, AJ realizes just how how uh how wrong he was to be to be so uncautious he uh in, in one of the creepier moments when he's measuring it he, he uh, you know someone grabs the tape measure basically like yanks it out of his hand and you realize he's about to uh to to meet the the, the maybe the villain of the movie well in a way the mother character is almost like this like a moral creature you know it's not necessarily it's just it's acting out its nature you know what i mean it's it's like the way right. like a wolf is not good or evil but a wolf is dangerous you know like when there's a pack of wolves they're being wolves so you're in danger but they're not evil you know what i mean right but she's acting out her name her nature is that way because of frank Right. Someone else we meet right after we meet, uh, not right after, but the movie cuts away again to a completely uh, different aspect ratio and a different time. And once again, we meet a monster, but it's sunny. It's the uh, happy 80s. You know, this, the neighborhood that is dilapidated in 2022 is this nice little quiet neighborhood in Detroit in sometime in the 80s. And we, we see... Frank, the owner of the house before AJ. Our man, uh, Richard Brake, portrays yes. Frank. And he, you know, he's just great. Whenever, whenever you need like a like sketchy, like, you know, threatening looking white guy. Yeah. Give, give, Richie, give Richie Brake a call, you know. Yeah. That's what the, this movie is cast great. Justin Long played this this part in his sleep. And he's, and he's great in it, you know. Uh, and, and, and Frank, not a lot of screen time, but a very imp important, uh, important role. And you see him, he's basically, is he a serial killer or is he just in prison? These people, like, he, I think I, he's just a fucking creep, man. He's like, um, essentially what his deal is, is he stalks women. He, uh, I mean, he had. I, I, my belief is that he did murder them eventually, but before he murders them, he impregnates them. Yes, and yeah. he has all these this library of VHS cassettes with all of their, if not their names, 
some identifier as to who they are. Yeah. 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 And uh, so basically we realized that the monster in the, in the tunnels in the basement is a byproduct of years of him like, uh, you know, impregnating women and those kids having kids together and things like that. And basically she is sort of this inbred monster who's been dwelling in these caves for 40 years. Yes. And at this point, um, there's, there's an, uh, an author, his name is Brian Keene. And uh, Mike, Mike is a Mike actually turned me on to Brian Keene. He's um, yeah, a yeah. horror writer. And yeah, no he, stuff. He has a, a book called Urban Gothic, which I, I would be interested to see if the if uh, Kreger had read that because it's um, very much similar to this. You know, there's like this kind of uh, you know degenerated group of people living below the city in this like very in actually Camden, New Jersey. You know, place that um, mm. you, know, you know Camden really well, and uh, oh yeah, sure, it's like a, a Legati esque town. Yes, exactly, exactly that. You know, and um, and it's uh, it rem- a lot of this reminded me of it. Even even like where there's like these long shots of the neighborhood of these like decrepit buildings that at one point were um, you know, probably beautiful homes for people, but now are falling into disrepair and you know all the urban blight. And it reminded me of um of the the world that Keen presented in urban Gothic and even this setting too. And um, mm. yeah, you know, and it's, and we get a sense of that with, uh, with the flashback to, um, to with Frank where he, you know, the neighborhood is slowly changing at the time that he's living there. It's uh this, you know, well-kept area. Like people, everyone's like, you know, middle-class people. His uh, neighbor is like, you know, Oh yeah. I just, I want you to, I wanted you to let you know, Frank, before you see the sign we're selling. You know, we're, yeah. we're moving out. The neighborhood's changing. And Frank's like, I- I'm not going anywhere. I'm staying here. Yeah. And yeah. That's, that scene kind of plays out a little humorously. You see his comedy background a lot in this movie, I think. Yes, There's ab- a, absolutely. A, a very dark sense of humor trickling throughout this movie. And that scene especially. Like, you, you can see Frank's disdain for regular people. And uh, you know, why would you bug me with this? I don't like you. You know, and the neighbors is oblivious that Frank is a monster and does not give a single fuck about him or if he's moving. And, and maybe the uh, the sort of fade into obscurity of that neighborhood, you know, the marginalization of that neighborhood created more of an environment for Frank to do his stuff, you know, to do his thing. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean... You know, in the, the the whole the the downfall of that neighborhood definitely played in, in Frank's favor. You know, since Dahmer, that show came out, a lot of debate over uh, over if Dahmer picked that neighborhood specifically because he knew that uh, people were less likely to care because he was living in a poor, mostly black neighborhood. And I, I don't think these things happen by accident. I think serial killers are cunning people. They 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 you know they they get away with this shit. He didn't, I don't think he picked that neighborhood by accident. And I think Frank, you know, same thing. He saw the writing on the wall and think, hmm, this could work to my advantage. Yeah, so the mother, quote unquote, which is, you know, how she's uh, building this film, is is the product of uh, all this uh, darkness that, um, that Frank, the dark world that Frank lives in. Yes, absolutely. And at this point, the, the film's called Barbarian. But who is the true villain of this movie? I don't think it's the mother. No, it's it's Frank, in my opinion. You know, 
Yeah, Frank and AJ are are really the true villain. Or I would say that maybe the movie seems to think that men in general are sort of the bad guys. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, maybe. I mean, okay, let's start. Keith isn't a bad guy. He's at all. We learn that. But he still doesn't believe Tess. He still gets to sort of move through this situation with impunity and not worry. Then you have the homeless guy. Now, he tries to warn her, but he also doesn't listen to her and ends up in a predicament that he that is unfortunate for him. So you have these two guys, even though they're not, they're sort of more heroic, but they still don't really listen and take Tess seriously. And that's another theme in the movie, which... No one takes Tess seriously. She even goes to the cops and they don't take her seriously. Yeah, they think she's like a crackhead, basically. Yeah, I, you know, I th- yeah, I thought they were going to go there with that when I saw her walk up to the police and she's been in prison for a couple weeks and has gotten out. No you ID. Know, like, yeah, yeah no, no ID. And like, it's, it's kind of a frustrating scene as you feel for Tess, but at the same time, I kept thinking, like, why, why don't you tell her that's your car or that your keys and your wallet are right there? You know, like, it, it was frustrating but i i get what they were trying to do you know like hey no one's no one's listening to tests and I think, I think like this might be a little bit of a cop-out but for me i feel like maybe the the quote-unquote the system is is the is the bad guy in this you know what i mean like yeah society is the bad the the evildoer in this one because of just the the environment that we live in where things like you know a potential situation like this can happen you know where we have these decentralization the whole airbnb app culture where some guy in LA can own a property and not even know what the fuck is part, you know, exists there. Like you get the sense that he never even really investigated that house like that. He'd only been there like a hand, maybe once or twice in his entire life. Really? Yeah. Oh, totally. Yeah. He took advantage of a, of a, a shitty situation, you know, like that yeah. house probably got foreclosed on. He saw a business opportunity, you know? Yeah, of yeah. course. You know, um, and then, and then like, so this like decentralized, you know, kind of gaslit world that we live in where no one has any real accountability, even down to the cops. You know, the cops are like, mm. you know, we're, we're dealing with real shit here. I can't, I don't have time for you. You know, yeah. you know, a, a woman of color, potentially, you, to me, you just look like you're homeless and you're on drugs. You know what I mean? Yeah, and that's probably how I would react to that situation too but then again i'm not a cop it's not my job uh it is literally their job but yeah that's what i mean it literally is their yeah. job so that once again we have the it's not my problem mantra of the new millennium you know oh yeah that's interesting yeah so you zoomed out even more than I, yeah, yeah i don't think the thesis of this movie is men bad women good yeah. I, I just I, I but i do believe that it is a theme through the movie that that men get to walk through the world differently than a woman does. I think that is, I think, I don't know, but I, I definitely felt that. Well, I, I totally agree me. with you because of earlier on in the beginning of this, we asked these, we asked each other the question, like, what would you do in this situation? And both of us are men, you know? Right. Biologically, at least. <laughs> <laughs> um, about what we would do. And both of us were like, we had like, we, we would have done things in a typically male way. Like, we would not necessarily be threatened. You know, I said that I would get a, another room somewhere, you know. Um, yeah. You know, but I, I wouldn't feel threatened by a woman in the middle of the night coming into my apart, my, my Airbnb or whatever you want to call it. You know, right. I, mean? I would still feel yeah. like I was in control and I had the upper hand. And Tess, 
is off balance and out of control, like not out of control emotionally, but she, there's a sense that she is like somehow does not have the upper hand in the situation. And that might have to do with like the gender roles. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, then you get, uh, I think the movie also seems to find a common thread between AJ and Frank. They're not the same, but they're both monsters in their own right. Definitely. You know, you know, and, and the, the man, man, bad, men, bad women, good like scenario doesn't work either because like Keith actually is a good guy, you know, like, like for what we were saying. And, but he, you know, he does have that, uh, you know, sort of added the male attitude of like, I'm, you know, things are going to be okay. Like I'm not in danger, right. you know? Right. And the same thing with yeah. the, the homeless guy who's a good guy who's trying to help her. He doesn't actually, he's even, he even states at one point of the film, Oh yeah, we're safe over here. And then uh, literally minute, uh, seconds after that, he gets killed. He gets ripped, yeah, yeah, yeah. Shreds. So, you know, maybe, yeah. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> um, and again, it speaks to my point, like no one listens to her and bad things happen when people don't listen to her. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, I like that they, they really showed uh, AJ's nature and, and, and like how, you know, Tess's instinct is to help. Like she could have gotten away from this situation a few times, but she chose to help. Yep. And AJ chooses to fuck, like, fuck everyone. I'm getting out of this situation alive. Fuck these people. Oh, ultimately, uh, yes. He's just completely self-centered. You know, he doesn't care. And, you know, like you, right. you, like you just mentioned, Test has more of an altruistic, uh, you know, intent with all this stuff. Right. And I'd like to, the, the, you know, like they don't, like I said, like the, AJ's character is kind of a buffoon and kind of funny in a way, but he's, he's still making like a human character. I really liked that moment where he's sitting around wondering, am I a bad guy? Did I do a bad thing? You or know people... You you definitely know people like this because I do for sure. Oh yeah, yeah, of course. Where I have I know people that have been in my life that I catch myself thinking, man, this dude is so close to being awesome, but he just fucking fails. Yeah, and that's kind of what AJ is. And I'm not saying I mean really well. There's nothing really awesome about him, but they just have that lack of character that ultimately is their downfall. And that's pretty much AJ's story. He lacks character. He's a, a, a you know victimizer, a rapist. He doesn't care about anybody. He's self-centered, you know. And and he doesn't realize that about himself. And he's See, a, in his a, mind, he's a good guy. Yeah, and he's oblivious to his true nature. Yeah, exactly. That's what I was speaking of when I know people like that. I don't know any actual rapists that I know of. I just want to put that out there. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, and ultimately. I guess one negative thing I can say about this movie is I wasn't crazy about the ending. Um, it didn't wrap up in a completely satisfying way for me. I don't think it's a bad ending. It just didn't quite. I mean, in a movie that never goes where you think it's going to go, I, I shouldn't fault it for not going ending the way I thought it would. But um, and again, uh, I don't want to explicitly give it away, spoil it, but uh, I think AJ's story or ending could have been handled better, could have had more weight to it. Um, it just sort of ends. And I thought that was a curious, uh, I thought that was a, a strange way to end a movie. It really seemed to have so much on its mind to not wrap some things up. 
I, w- I wasn't in love with the ending either. Um, I mean, the ultimate result of the ending, like the absolute ending itself, like the elements of it, I think are cool. But the way yeah. that they arrived at those elements were was not satisfying to me really either. Yeah, I think AJ got off a little too easy. Yeah, yeah, definitely. You know, and I thought they were really setting something up for him, where he was going to try to, you know, turn himself into a hero because it's well in character for him to do something like that, only to have his actions again be his demise. Whereas uh, it didn't go that way at all, and I, I really was kind of hoping it would go more in the way I was thinking, rather than just sort of like this abrupt ending but um ultimately though i mean i think people are going to look back in the last few months of 2022 and and see one of the shining moments in horror history there's a lot going on uh in horror and this movie like you said made 42 million dollars it connected with with an audience it found an audience and people are talking about it and for the most part i think people really like this movie yeah no totally and this is something that Mike and I talked about last week when we did Terrifier about how um, it's almost in reaction to the very obvious pandering to certain ideologies that are present in in, in society these days, like the kind of like yeah. uh, you know woke wokeness for lack of a better term. That those movies no one cared about. No one, no one wanted to fucking watch uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre remake or you know or or the remake of uh, you know Black Christmas or something like that. You know. These movies right. with these heavy-handed, you know, discussions of uh, you know race and gender. No one cared, really, except for maybe critics who are pandering to people who have these political agendas. Really, you know, exactly, exactly, like that garbage Candyman remake. Yeah, but a movie like this, which still was uh, not judgmental, really, but it was presenting pretty kind of the similar points of view, but in a way that's not necessarily alienating to anyone. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And and that's why I think like even to even, you know, even to some, I mean, Terrifier is a totally different type of film. Sure. But this film and Barbarian are proving that there's an appetite for people out there to see real horror films, not these like political like statements that are done in a very disingenuous way. Absolutely. And this movie, like I said, it does have, yeah, it's it, Politically, it's very progressive. Yeah, totally. But it doesn't judge you for. It doesn't talk down to you. Doesn't try to make you. Just sort of presents it. It's just so naturally a part of of the plot of the movie. It's intertwined brilliantly. That this movie really is making a statement. Like I said, that men and women go through life differently. I think that is sort of one of the main statement of the movie, and it, it presents it to you in in a way that makes you think. It doesn't make you like it. it it's the polar opposite of the Candyman remake, really, yeah. which oh, yeah. just made, which just made me roll my eyes constantly. Like Jesus Christ, this movie does not have a subtle fucking bone in its body. And, and I mean, even Men, which I liked, another film that we talked oh, about, I liked it too. Yeah, and but this is even more subtle than that. Like even even Men, though I did enjoy it, and I didn't have any issue with the statement that they made, was still like a little bit more heavy-handed than this. This is way more subtle in their point of view and the sort of ideology they're putting forward. Totally agree. Yeah. So, at the end of the day, what would you give this? i give it a 4.5 because uh, even the second time I watched it, I still really enjoyed it. 
I am going to give it a 4.5 as well. Oh, um, nice. I was about at a four last night, but again, the, the more I thought about it, the more interesting the movie seemed to me, and uh, it's it stayed with me. Uh, I um, yeah, it's it's really solid. It's really smart. I think the director um, Zach Craigers has a, a bright future ahead of him as a uh, filmmaker. Whether he does horror, whether he does comedy, whatever he does. Uh, I think will be more interesting than than um, than your average sort of comedy or horror, you know, because I, I think he's got more in his mind than just making people laugh, making people scared, which he does well. But I think he's a smarter filmmaker than that. Well, I'm going to go even further is that I think he's probably the only comedic creative out there that's actually successfully made a compelling horror film. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Um I'll have to think about that. Yeah, I, I think, uh, you know, even though I love Danny McBride, you know, I love him as uh, Kenny Powers, you know, and I like yes. Righteous Gemstones, like all that stuff's yeah. amazing. I don't feel like he's quite settled into making horror films, you know, as a writer, you know. Um, I would I would mostly agree with that, yeah. uh, with the way the Halloween franchise sort of played out. And in, even Halloween 2018, which I think we both like, I liked it. Yeah. It does have some missteps, it goes a little... Leans a little too hard into comedy at times, where right. it's not out of place. But yeah. um, I'm just going to say the name Jordan Peele because I don't want to get like canceled by what might make express myself really. But like, <laughs> all I'm going to say is Jordan Peele. Enough said. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. some, I like some of his stuff, but I don't think you know, I think that uh, you know he's not. I think I think Keggers Kregers did a way better way better transition from comedy into horror because subtle. Non-judgmental. The comedy is ex- exactly the right amount. Yes, and it's fucking hor- horrifying at times. This film, and there's real suspense, and like none of those things are present in any of Jordan Peele's films, really, except for I mean, I like let you know. Um, uh, I like his, Get Out. Get Out, I thought was good, you know, but yeah. this movie blows away Get Out, in my opinion. I yeah, I completely agree with you. I liked Get Out. I didn't love it. Um, I think it's. I think Jordan Peele is a a talented director. He's a very good filmmaker. Uh, I I am not in love with any of his movies though. Uh, I I feel like they all need like a, a to be rewritten. You know, like we talked about Nope. It wasn't bad. It's worth a watch, but it could have just been so much more. Well, one of the things that I think I like about Jordan Peele is the way he writes characters. Mm. You know, like his characters, like his ideas, like his ideas for certain characters I think are pretty good. Like I enjoyed that. Like I like the characters in, in Nope, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah, really curious to see where this director goes. And you know, I mentioned earlier horror and comedy do why they couldn't be different. They to, to, both kinds of things need a reaction from its audience to be successful. So I think if you're good at comedy, you could transition into horror. Yeah. You know, and comedians tend to lean darker as people. So I can see the appeal to, to, to horror. Sure. And um, this is great. And, and it's also, I wanted to point out, it, I think I'm pointing out, this is a funny movie too. It's, it's veers into black comedy without being too over the top of it. Yeah, the beginning is not very funny, but 
when right at the trend the first transition point it does get funny you know and and like in right. a very dark biting sort of way you know yeah there there's a moment in the first 40 minutes where he kind of cuts the keith and he's like you know has a uh, duvet cover over him and he looks like a ghost and it's kind of silly like i can see that like you know being like coming from like, his humor background it is kind yeah. of a a funny transition but uh yeah it works man i mean this is one of the better horror movies of the year, I, I, I would say. It rates very high on my list, too. And, um, you know, man, at the end of this year, when we do our three-way for the, the top 2022, we're going to have our work cut out for us, I think, because there's so many great movies this year. Yeah, we really are, man. I, I don't even know if any just horror-adjacent things are going to make it in there because there's just so many outright great outright horror movies yeah, this, no. this year. It's a, it's a great year for horror films, for sure. Absolutely. Like I said, 2022 would be historic for horror. Hell yeah. Well, thanks for listening, everyone. And um, you know, I hope you guys like the episode. Uh, definitely follow us on all social media platforms and uh, subscribe. So we'll, we'll talk to you next week. Take care, everyone.
cameo with uh, Terry Gilliam in that movie, too. Really? Yeah, there's like that Robert Smith-looking guy that's in the uh, in the bar scene, one of the bar scenes. That's Terry Gilliam? Yeah, I think so. Oh, I'll have to look into that. Uh, I actually, no before idea. I, before I uh, fucking put my foot in my mouth, let me, let me just verify that. Because I, I also rewatched it as, you know, part of... Uh, you know, part of my uh... Halloween. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Actually, hold on. Let me do it a different way here. <laughs> it's a good thing this isn't live. <laughs> We're like fucking Googling <laughs> shit, you know? Yeah. You can hear how slow you're typing. Yeah. Every, everything's spelled wrong. T E R R I R R R R I. All right, yeah. Gilnum. Let, let me get to the fucking end, the bottom of this thing here. Uh, who's the other guy? Not Terry Gilliam. There's another dude that's like one of these like cool like goth actors. Uh, what if I mean filmmakers? Tim Burton. Yeah, maybe it's Tim Burton. Actually, hold on a second. So, that would make more sense. This is so fucking lame that I'm doing this right now. I should have wrote this down. <laughs> Dude, I do it all the time. I never know what I'm talking about. I don't... Oh God. I'm just going to edit the fuck out of this episode. <laughs> but I want, I want to mention this because I actually just watched it again too. American Psycho. Christian... All right, fuck it. You know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna cut that whole thing out because I I can't get to the bottom of it. I don't want to be wrong. Okay. All right. 